Hello there, Dane here, Chief Medical Advisor for Active IQ. So welcome to our first Active IQ podcast. As many of you may know, Active IQ is one of the leading fitness industry awarding organisations, providing a range of qualifications. So I'm delighted to be joined by Jason Fevers of Cancer Research UK, and we'll be talking about all things exercise referral and behaviour change. So welcome, Jason. First of all, before we get started, I think it would be great for the listeners to hear a bit more about yourself and your journey. Hi, Dane. Thanks. Okay, so I started in the fitness industry um, a similar time to yourself, I think, back in 2000. Initially as a gym instructor, working in a gym while I was completing my personal training qualifications. The gym that I worked in had an active exercise referral scheme, and that led to me completing the exercise referral qualification and working with, with referred clients. Um, I did a small stint in health club management, um, decided to do a lot more personal training work, but that really had an emphasis on health-related fitness. Um, I then ended up managing an exercise referral scheme for a local authority. That led me to a much wider public health role, and then onto the current role that I do, which is with Cancer Research UK, working on cancer prevention and earlier diagnosis. I'm still teaching some exercise sessions, mainly for people living with cancer. Sounds like a pretty interesting career so far. Obviously, we've worked together in different capacities, um, side by side. Uh, Obviously, we've worked together with exercise referral, where where we were talking a lot about referring into practices. Uh, I now know you're working for Cancer Research UK, and it's quite an interesting role, isn't it? And it'd be, I think, great for a lot of the guys to understand a bit more about what that role is. Okay, yeah. So the role involves health professional engagement, which usually consists of persuading GPs to do something differently to increase earlier diagnosis of cancers or how they can talk to patients about lifestyle behaviour change. Although it's not so much fitness-based, the skills that I use are ones that are required whilst managing and working on exercise referral schemes. Okay, that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, and I guess complements really well with your, your previous role, doesn't it? Um, I, I guess in terms of uh, the PTs and maybe some of the tutors listening as well, I think there's a big push now in the industry to try and get people into a more healthcare-based job. Um, and I guess it'd be interesting to know kind of how you got into that route and how you might encourage a PT uh, in terms of advice of getting into that healthcare space. Yeah, I think the key point really, Dane, is to follow your interests. So if you're interested in health-related fitness, gain the qualifications and the experience to work in that area um, rather than waiting for opportunities to come up. Put yourself in a position where you can create those opportunities or be ready when they do um, come out. So there's certainly more and more jobs being created within the NHS now. Um, there was a, an advertisement I saw recently within the northeast of England um, for an exercise referral and cardiac rehab qualified instructor, which was a full time band six within the NHS. So I think that's about 26 to 30 odd thousand yeah. pounds a year. So some much better quality roles are now being created around exercise referral um, aimed at fitness um, professionals. And I think that, you know, that's a key thing that you point out is there are lots of opportunities for us and it's about potentially looking beyond that gym space and seeing what's available and some really well-paid, more secure jobs as well. Um, but we'll come back to that and, and talk a bit about exercise referral. Um, but I guess initially, let's start to explore one of your main interests and probably specialist areas, which is behaviour change. I guess, you know, it's New Year uh, and we're talking everyone wants to change at the moment. So, you know, what should PTs be doing to help clients change their behaviour? Yeah, I think it's, it's really a much wider issue to start off with. So it's, it's learning a lot more about different behaviour change models, sort of understanding behaviour and then developing the skills to be able to encourage behaviour change. Okay. 
Um, and I guess, you know, there are so many different ways and models around changing behavior, aren't there? Um, I think one of the ones I like, um, I'm not sure what you think about it, is, is the Nuffield Bioethics Ladder of Change. It's just the whole kind of nudges, um, kind of shoves and smacks kind of concept. So nudges being, you know, we might nudge someone by providing education to change their behavior. Um, shoves might be pushing them in the direction we want to do, which might be taxation or incentives. And obviously we've talked about smacks, which would, you know, a great example of a smack would be the smoking ban. Um, so, you know, I, I quite like that, but I'd be interested to hear, uh, you know, what you think uh, works uh, and how we can apply those kind of concepts. Yeah, I think anything that looks at different intervention, level, intervention levels is really, really useful. Um, there's Mickey's Behaviour Change Wheel, um, which is a fairly recent development, and it gives a much more comprehensive overview of, of different aspects of behaviour change. Okay, uh, well, the, the Mickey's Behaviour Change Wheel, not something I'm uh, as familiar with, uh, and I'm sure many of the PT guys aren't either, um, so it'd be great to hear a little bit more uh, about that from you. Okay, so Behaviour Change Wheel um, has three levels, um, and these are policy categories, Second level is intervention functions, and the third level is, is sources of behaviour. Um, if we look at policy categories, that focuses on changes such as your regulation, guidelines, fiscal measures, uh, the sort of things that are often implemented at a national level. So as an example of that, nice guidance on exercise referral would be an example of guidelines which can help to steer um, behaviour and, and you, whether people use exercise referral schemes or not. Um, the soft drinks levy um, is a good example of a fiscal measure by making the cost of soft drinks more expensive or encouraging soft drinks manufacturers to reformulate with less sugar. Um, so again, that can be a really effective at a policy category level. Um, the second level, which is intervention functions, that looks at specific considerations which are needed when designing behaviour change interventions. So that can include things like training, which is, is often sort of the first port of call for, for trying to change behaviour. Um, some of the other parts of that um, are, are, are equally important and often get neglected. Um, and so a model like Behaviour Change Wheel allows us to fully consider the different aspects of behaviour change when designing an intervention. Um, the third level is sources of behaviour, and that's just probably the most relevant part for personal trainers. Okay, so that that's quite useful. So you're saying there's uh, so this kind of there's this Mickey's change wheel is is three kind of areas. So you're talking about policy categories, intervention functions, and source of behaviour. Um, so I guess let let's talk a little bit more about the theory. So obviously, if you look at most exercise referral or PT kind of qualifications, the biggest push is around the Prochaska Di Clemente model. Um, but you've now mentioned Combi uh, amongst other examples. So it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about the Combi model uh, and other things that you use at the moment. Okay, yeah. So Combi, it's the, the sort of the inner part of behaviour change wheel um, that relates to, to sources of behaviour. And so Combi, it stands for capability, opportunity, motivation, behaviour. Um, probably the best way to think about it is think about an American crime drama where the detective's looking for someone who's got the motive, the opportunity, and the capability to commit the crime. Um, the same principles can be applied for any behaviour. So in terms of capability, if we use the example of, of physical activity, of exercise, then the person has to have the physical capability to be able to do the exercise that they're being asked to do. Um, I think the psychological capability is probably a much bigger factor for most people. 
And that includes things like self-efficacy or the confidence that that person has in their ability to make a change. Um, so that's a really important part of it is, is recognising what someone's capability is and how they may need support or changes to what you've got planned for them to make sure that that, that meets that. Mm. Um, the second part of, of Combi, opportunity, um, part of that is about environmental opportunity. So that would include things like access to the gym, which might be due to, due to things like cost. It might be more to do with um, time of day, accessibility, um, all those sort of pressures that people have in, in terms of being able to get to a leisure centre or a gym. And it could be include things like outdoor space as well. So if, if people are being encouraged to do more walking, um, is the, the, the facilities where they can do that safely. So if someone lives in a, a quite a high crime rate area and you're telling them to go out for a walk every day, is that something that's going to happen? Mm. Or do they need to find a different way of, of increasing activity levels? Um, the other part of opportunity is around that social side. So this relates a lot to how other people behave um, and yeah, how they feel they'd be perceived by other people if they were to do that behaviour. So yeah, how socially acceptable is it to go out running at six o'clock in the morning mm. in, in that particular neighbourhood? So it's, it's all those type of things uh, which comes within um, social opportunity. Um, the other part of Combi, which is really, really important, is motivation. So both capability and opportunity feed into motivation but it also looks at how we reflect on the information that we've been provided with. So it's, it's, it's really about how we process that information and how that helps us to make decisions to change behaviour. And there's also an automatic element to motivation as well. So if we're in the habit of doing something, we're much more likely to continue to do that. So it's making exercise a habit, um, which is really, really important part of, of motivation as well. And then in terms of the trans-theoretical model, you know, the things that we talk about in PT a lot, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, so um, the trans-theoretical model or stages of change, which is the bit that we use a lot within um, exercise referral, um, it's still widely used and it can be a really good prompt for what types of behaviour change intervention might be the most appropriate based on a client stage of change. And I think this is something that's covered really well within the current exercise referral syllabus. Okay, great. Um, I think, you know, given some of the areas that you've uh, been talking about and we've discussed before, I think, you know, the the kind of Mickey's change wheel uh, combi, um, we'll try and put some examples of that. So there should be a PDF um, attachment for you guys to download and you should be able to see some references uh, and examples um, to have a look at this area further. Um, so I guess kind of moving on from that, really, you talked about a few different models now. Do you have a particular preference to a model when applying to delivering exercise? Um, I think the key thing really is having a wide understanding, um, particularly how different theories fit together and what the underlying themes are from that. Um, If I was to single one thing out, then probably self-efficacy is one of the most important things that a FitPro can do with clients um, by increasing self-efficacy. We can really help to increase motivation and and behaviour change. Um, self-efficacy is a key part of many theories, including trans-theoretical model, um, but it often gets overlooked, um, particularly with TTM. People tend to just focus on the, the stages of change part and looking at what particular intervention might be better depending off someone's in preparation or contemplation um, stage of change. And I, I guess as a trainer, kind of taking back to your initial kind of points around self-efficacy, is there anything particularly you think trainers could do to kind of 
improve a, a kind of client's self-efficacy or, or tactics or, or, you know, kind of secrets or trade trade things that you've done in the past? Right, yeah. So there's, there's different ways of increasing self-efficacy. Um, probably the, the most effective one is based on past experience. So if people have been physically active in the past, it's drawing on that experience and using that to help increase self-efficacy. Um, for someone that's not exercise much in the past and maybe got bad experiences from physical activity at school um, it can be a little bit harder um, to do that so it might be that there's other aspects of that person's life that you can draw on so for example if you've got a client who's getting married in six months time and that's the reason that they want to increase their activity levels you could maybe look at some of the planning that they're doing for the wedding and you build on how good they are at those planning skills and do they think they'd be able to use those planning skills to help them to develop more of a habit for physical activity. So things like that are really useful ways of drawing on that. Um, the other side of, um, another way to, to raise self-efficacy is what we call vicarious experience, which is using the experience of other people. So within the exercise referral scheme that I used to manage, uh, we had a lot of group exercise sessions, mm-hmm. and that can be really useful for people to see other people that they relate to, yeah. making big changes and, and continuing with those exercise sessions for a period of time. So any way that you can use people that are very similar to the person who you're trying to change behaviour with um, to, to back that up can be a really, really useful way of, of improving self-efficacy as well. And I guess uh, a lot of what you're talking about there is also, ultimately, if you don't know the client's background or social history, it's kind of hard to get that information to the, to then apply it correctly. So uh, it goes back to, you know, a lot of the big push in the industry about learning soft skills and the importance of it. Um, so with a lot of active IQs, uh, PT stuff coming out now, there's, a, there's much more of an emphasis on that, as there are with all the other qualifications too. Um, so it's good to highlight that. I think because sometimes we... We kind of do it, but it's kind of it could be rushed sometimes, and actually it's quite important. And we probably need to get across to our students more. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, particularly within within exercise referral, um, there's a lot of the information on there, but it's a case of how that links together and how we can best use that, uh, which sometimes needs a little bit more work on that side of things. Okay, great. Well, if if we get some time, we might come back and uh, talk about some ideas around how how you might be able to deliver behaviour change in exercise referral. Let's see how we go. Um, I, guess, I guess the other areas, you know, given your expertise, um, you know, we've talked a lot about um, cancer in the past, given your current role. Uh, and I know we've talked about in our practice, you know, how can we do things like these teachable moments more, which, which I hear you talk about a lot. Um, and I guess it'd be great to hear a bit more about what teachable moments means to you. Um, and also maybe in a healthcare setting, how that might work. But also, is there a, a relationship or a transference of that in a PT health club setting? Okay, yeah, so teachable moments is very, very current within the NHS. Um, so there's making every contact count or MEC, which is very widely used. Um, and that involves taking opportunities to raise the issue of lifestyle behaviours and being able to signpost or support people to find the information or where they can find expert support to help with that behaviour change. Okay, great. And yeah, MEC's great, isn't it? It's used a lot in the NHS. Um, I, I think some of the issues MEC is everyone knows what it is, but not necessarily how to apply it. Um, but I guess like many healthcare professionals, a lot of fit pros come into contact with, you know, hundreds of people potentially in a week. Um, so the opportunity to make a difference is, is massive potentially. Um, and I guess it'd be interesting uh, to see if you've had any ex- specific examples of how you might 
maximise that contact in an exercise setting? Okay, yeah, so certainly for, for making every contact count, uh, what we're probably talking about within the fitness industry is where we've got opportunities to change someone's behaviour for a lifestyle behaviour separate to physical activity. So it might be smoking, alcohol consumption, um, things like that. Um, so probably quite a, a good example of that is within exercise referral um, schemes. I've worked quite a lot with clients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. Um, and sometimes you, you might get a client who's still smoking. We know that the best thing that that person could do to improve the health would be to quit smoking. Mm. Um, that's far, far better than the benefits they will get from increasing activity levels. But it might be that that person's not ready to quit smoking yet, but they do feel ready to, to start to, to try and be a bit more active. Um, so I think it's really working with the client to do what's important to them at that stage. Um, it might then be that that person's motivation changes in the future. So it's really important that I can pick up on any cues from that person that they may be looking to change another behaviour and then to be able to signpost them to support um, mm. for that. So there's a model called 3As, which I know we've discussed um, quite a lot in the past. And it's, it's a really useful model for giving brief advice to clients um, about behaviour change. So if we apply it to the example of our client who's expressed an interest in quitting smoking, yeah. um, 3As, it stands for ask, advise and act. Mm-hmm. And so in this particular example, it may be that the client flags up that they're now trying to quit smoking. So my response to that will be, yeah, that, that's great. What is it? What are you using to try and help you to quit? Yeah. So, sort of asking the question around that. It may then be that that client's just trying to go cold turkey. Um, it might be that they're just considering quitting smoking, but they haven't actually quit at that point. So, I could then advise them that the most effective way to quit smoking is with advice from a specialist stop smoking service along with nicotine replacement therapy. And then the act part of it would be for me to then say, would you like me to provide details of the local stop smoking service? So it's generally a very brief sort of 30 seconds to 60 second conversation around behaviour change. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really useful way of raising an issue and then helping to signpost people to a service um, for that. That sounds quite good as well, because I guess, you know, a lot of fit pros are constantly coming into contact with people and people who have one uh, kind of poorer health behaviour choice are likely, you know, as you know, to have more than one. So I guess we're in a good position as a fitness professional to be able to constantly see someone and provide a a kind of a constant bit of education slash listening to uh, that can then make that change. Absolutely. And I think fitting the fitness industry into the much wider public health arena, it's really, really important that fitness professionals do start to recognise the role that they can play in helping to to support clients on on wider behaviour change. And I I think that's been echoed a lot recently. So a lot of the UK active stuff, a lot of Active IQ's recent stuff, it's very much been pushing. Do fitness professionals have other skills? So, you know, with all these soft skills and behaviour change skills already, should we be looking at also influencing other spaces, including smoking or nutrition to more of an extent than we do now? So, no, definitely. Okay, and as as part of that, I guess wanted to kind of keep going on the exercise referral theme more. Um, as you as you probably know already, the qualifications being refreshed, uh, and given you've been doing this since two thousand, you'll know that this isn't the first of many refreshes. Um, but obviously, Simspur taking over, they've got government backing, and they're they're very much looking at uh, getting the right stakeholders together and looking at how we can improve the qualification. 
And I guess in your experience, you know, because I know you deliver it yourself as well, um, anything that you think we should be adding into the new qualification? Yeah, I think that the key thing really is some of the newer models that have come out since um, the exercise field syllabus was last updated. So models like Combi, which we talked about earlier, um, I think that's a, it's a really useful way um, of explaining behaviour um, differently on there. Um, I think some of the other things is the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation isn't covered quite as well as it could be within exercise referral at the moment. So how to work with clients to develop more intrinsic motivation um, for exercise is really important. And self-determination theory is, is a great model to explain that. So mm-hmm. that will be a good um, sort of model to include within exercise referral. Um, also within behaviour change wheel, um, there's evidence now from a lot of studies, studies using behaviour change wheel that are now allowing us to start to identify specific goal setting techniques and when the most effective um, and at what point they should be introduced. So some of the, the latest research on that will be a really good thing to include as well. Okay, great. Um, and it will be great at the end, you know, to get some of those kind of papers and reference off you and then we can share that with the guys as well uh, yeah. to read on further. Um, sounds good. So I guess, you know, because obviously we're an awarding organisation, so a lot of educators listening as well. Um, you know, given, you know, we've taught Exercise Feral together and you, we've taught for other companies too. So I guess, you know, do you have any uh, kind of advice that you'd give to people teaching the behaviour change aspects, which are now in the PT and Exercise Feral, in terms of how you deliver it? Okay, I think the key thing really is to cover the theory in a way that's memorable um, and allows the learners to apply the technique straight away. Uh, we know that there's a lot to cover within the Exercise Referral syllabus and if learners don't see the relevance or get the opportunity to apply behaviour change straight away, it's likely to get forgotten. Um, talk about role play quite a lot. Um, I'm more fan of real play uh, myself. So what I tend to do is apply techniques to a behaviour that the learners may want to work on themselves. So it might not necessarily be physical activity. It might be a different behaviour that they're happy to discuss in front of um, other people in the group and get them to work on some of the tools like decisional balance quadrant, Rolnick's rule, some of the motivational interviewing techniques um, to actually apply it for a behaviour that, that's something that they might be having problems with themselves applying rather than trying to apply it to physical activity which they may find quite easy to do um, because they've been doing it for such a long period of time anyway. So things like that can work really well um, to get people applying it and putting themselves in the position of someone that maybe doesn't have the same self-efficacy for that particular behaviour. Okay, great. Sounds good. And and I think I've got to echo what you've been saying about uh, role play or real play, as you put it. Um, I think in, in medical school and GP training, we had a lot of role play, uh, predominantly actors coming in to play that part, which in some ways makes it easier. Um, again, I've tried just like you to bring it across the PT setting a lot. Some of the challenges are if you've never done role play before, then it's a challenge and you don't take it very seriously. Um, and I've found that actually by telling them to pick a behavior that actually is 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 true to them and they're being themselves and then having an instructor and observer works far better than making them pretend they're mrs so-and-so with a smoking habit yeah. yeah absolutely and also video clips can be a really useful way as well of showing you good and bad examples of, of, of behavior change techniques so your video clips can be a really really useful thing to use as well Definitely. And I guess uh, with that, really, what you're doing then is getting the analysis side of Bloom's taxonomy and aren't you? So from an educational point of view, it's perfect. So some theory to kind of go through it, 
uh, done some application either by role play or real play and they've even got some further video analysis going on so yeah sounds good so i guess you know hopefully some of the providers and deliverers out there will start to look at their pt and their exercise referral and see how they can embed those kind of values and i think as the qualification or the course goes through and they do more of that role play um, you find that it generally the quality of it improves doesn't it So Jason, you mentioned a, a bit about uh, the decision quadrant balance and Rolnix rule or alluded to it. Um, it'd be great if you tell us a little bit more about what those are. Okay, yeah. So um, decisional balance quadrant, um, it's, it's a really useful tool um, if clients are at that preparation stage. So going back to that transfer ethical model and stages of change, um, if people are sort of feeling that there's be some benefits from being more physically active, but there's also some negative sides to that as well. What decisional balance quadrant does is it allows us to get that down on paper to get the client thinking a little bit more about the, the pros and cons of making a change. So it basically involves the client writing down what the advantages would be of, in this case, being more physically active. Um, also get them to consider what the disadvantages would be um, so what would they having to give up? What's the, the downside to being more physically active? Um, and then we can also look at um, what the advantages and disadvantages would be of not making that change. And it can be quite a powerful tool for them just to, to have the time to write that down and to have a look at that. And then that links in with, with Rolnick's Rule, which is a tool that's come from motivational interviewing. And what that does is it allows us to have a conversation with the client about how important a particular behaviour change is to them. So once they've done decision of balance, we can get them to say how important it is for them to make that change. Um, and then we can start to question. So if they said it was a 5 out of 10, mm. what would need to happen for that to become a 7 out of 10? What would, they, mm -hmm. what would need to change before that became more important? Mm -hmm. And also we can ask about confidence, again, on a scale of, of 1 to 10, how confident are they that they'll be able to make and stick to that change? And so it just allows us to be able to support the client a little bit more and to find out what circumstances need to be or what support someone needs to be able to, to increase the physical activity levels and, and to make that change. Great. So I guess they're, they're all part of that kind of soft skills kind of application. And I guess you know a lot of what you're talking about is almost you know we get their students started we can teach them behavior change theory get them into this kind of real play and then potentially we start to layer in these kind of other tools that you're talking about there and over time hopefully over over a course they've started to polish up those skills a little bit um so no that sounds great um okay so again with the decision quadrant balance and the role next rule we'll, we'll put some resources again on the pdf um so i, I guess really to to finish off um I guess resources are always important um, for the guys listening who might want to learn a bit more. Are there any particular kind of, I guess, websites, books or other resources that have used uh, around behaviour change that you found really useful? Um, I think developing motivational interviewing skills uh, through more advanced training courses is a, use, a really useful way to have better conversations with clients about behaviour change. Obviously, it's much more of a, of a commitment in terms of time and money to do that. But if, if that's an area that you're interested in, um, I'd really recommend learning more about motivational interviewing. Um, a lot of the theory and psychology of behaviour change um, that I've learned is through studying a master's in behaviour change at the University of Derby, um, which is one of the few master's courses on behaviour change that look specifically at health and well-being. Um, other access to, to courses, things like Making Every Contact Count, 
Um, Public Health England have some great online modules that can be accessed free of charge to learn more about making every contact count and the free A's model that we, we touched on earlier is covered within that. So again, we'll make sure that we've got links to that within the, the resources. Great. Um, and I guess that's as, as useful for tutors who are delivering the content as potentially to, to students they may want to signpost to later. So no, that's really useful. So we'll, we'll get those all on the PDF. So I guess uh, the last thing really to kind of close this podcast is um, obviously, you know, you've got this great role with Cancer Research UK uh, and there's a lot of people who would, who would love to have such a role and, and really fits with your interests and your background. Um, and I'm always uh, interested when I hear what your projects are. And I guess it's a common question I ask you, what are you doing at the moment? So it'd be interesting to hear what projects you're doing at the moment. Uh, and really, if you think there's a fitness industry role for any of it. Okay, so there's a lot of work ongoing at the moment about raising awareness of preventable cancers. Um, so most people are aware of the link between smoking and a number of different cancers. Um, obesity is actually the second biggest risk factor after smoking for preventable cancer, yet there's very little awareness of that. Um, and so obviously I think I'm doing a lot of work at the moment with health trainers, so they're the people that are doing the stop smoking services, the NHS health checks, weight management um, type work in a number of different areas and I think those are the sort of areas where fit pros could potentially um, have more of a role as well particularly around weight management um, and the links between obesity and cancer. Hmm. And that's interesting because as, as you know in York there there are quite a lot of active IQ graduated kind of exogeral students that are working in the public health sector particularly at York Council so um, I think that's that's really useful. Um, Okay, and then I guess moving on from that, I just really wanted to say, you know, thank you very much for for joining us today. Um, and I, I guess for the guys, you know, this is a really important topic that hopefully you're noticing we're pushing more and more. I think regardless of the qualification, whether it's pregnancy, exercise, feral, PT, uh, or any of the others, behavior change is key. Um, so, you know, uh, there's a blog that we've done in the past. Have a look at that. We'll have some resources, a PDF to go with this uh, podcast as well. Um, so do keep in touch. Any other updates and resources and links will be available on activeiq.co.uk. Um, and I guess do get in touch as always with any questions you might have for Jason or myself. Um, so you can email us at dane at activeiq.co.uk. Um, and I guess I'll see you on the next podcast otherwise. Thanks for listening. <laughs>